If you have your Bibles, please open up to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, we have some on the back uh, sound booth right there. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 is uh, on page 986 in those Bibles back there. We'd love for you to follow along with us. If you use the Bible app, uh, we have a live event on the Bible app. So if you want to open that up and follow along with us, that is another way to, uh, to plug in and follow along with us. Uh, while you're doing that, uh, has anybody ever heard of the 4B area? Uh, this, is, uh, this is an area that we are currently in. Uh, the 4B area is from the Beltway uh, all the way down to the beach and then it goes from the bay all the way to Brazoria County line. So this is the 4B area, and this is uh, the place that God has placed us as a church. And uh, there, are, there are a lot of churches around there, and there's been a lot of research done about the 4B area. Uh, a lot of you guys live and work and shop and eat and play all within this 4B area. So um, let me tell you a little bit about it. Anyone want to guess about how many people are in the 4B area? Anyone? Bueller? Did you, did you already read my notes? Come on. 500,000 is dead right. Thank you very much, Mr. Doug Osterberg. You get two thumbs up, okay? 500,000 people uh, in this little bitty area. This isn't, we're not talking Houston uh, we're talking, this is the very much the suburbs all the way to the, this is where we live, right? The 4B area, 500,000 people live in this area. And the census data uh, that we've gotten back uh, last couple years uh, tells us of those 500,000 people that live in the 4B area, when they're asked their religious preferences, how do they identify religiously? 55%, so more than half of the people checked that they have no religious affiliation at all. That's not talking about people that say that they are Christians and they come to church on Christmas and Easter or because my grandma, my grandmother, I went to church with her when I was a kid, so I'll check that box because I'm not, I'm not anything else, really. Uh, these people have no religious affiliation, uh, no desire uh, to, to care about God or anything like that, 55%. So you can imagine that... Uh, we thought that this was a Christian Bible Belt culture that we live in, but we were very much not that at all, right? Uh, we could probably speculate that um, the percentage of people that would call themselves followers of Christ or are uh, disciples of Christ would probably be in the teen percentage, maybe low 20s uh, in this area. So we are significantly outnumbered. Um, but I think one of the things that the enemy has done is convinced us that this we live in a Christian area, right? We're in, we're in Texas where, uh, you know, everyone says that they're a Christian, but that's not the case anymore, guys. Like the, the biggest lie that the enemy has sold us is that the people that live around you and that shop around you and go to eat around you and do activities around you and work out at the same places, that those people are followers of Christ. And, and I don't believe that that's true because that's not what the data tells us. The data tells us that 55% people said that they have no religious affiliation whatsoever. We are in a post-Christian era. And uh, what are we going to do about that? Because uh, as a church, we need to do something. Because what we are currently doing is not affecting that number. 
uh, what we're currently doing, uh, what we've seen is that number is continuing to increase, not decrease. I believe that we need to make a shift in the way we approach our lives, that we need to begin to live missionally, uh, that we need to... uh, affect this number drastically. And if we do that, it has to happen because we're living missionally. That has to happen. And I believe that there's three different ways that we can do that. Uh, Three different ways. And that's what we're going to look at today. The first way is that we begin to have the heart of a missionary. Are we going to have a heart of a missionary? Uh, look at First Thessalonians chapter one. If you if you know anything about um, Paul, the the author of uh, this book, he was a church planner. I wanted to preach through the book of Acts for for us, so that we could see what it would look like for someone to be far from God, to become a follower of God, to become an apostle of God, uh, and then someone to uh, strategically plant churches all around. Uh, the region that they lived in, but that would take a couple years. So uh, I decided to look at one of the churches that that Paul planted. Um, and this is the church here, um, the church of the Thessalonians, right? And he says uh, in verse one, Paul, um, and this this name uh, is Silas, that's his, that's his Greek name, uh, and Timothy. So you know these people. To the church of the Thessalonians in God, the Father, and the uh, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always uh, for all of you, consistently mentioning you in your in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in the Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, uh, for we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because of our gospel. Come, uh, came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake? And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received uh, the word in much affliction and with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Acadia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acadia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. I want us to look at um, what does it look like for us to have a heart of a missionary. And really, this is, um, if you've been tracking along with us in this series, this is what we've been talking about the last two weeks, right? We, we started with this question of who is my neighbor and how that's a really terrible question because that's trying to figure out what the least amount of work that you could possibly do. And that's, that's a bad attitude. But what we really need to think about is how we can neighbor, how can we can be a neighbor and how Jesus took that word from a, a noun to a verb. And so we can begin to neighbor our neighbors. And last week we took that, looked at specifically how we can show love to our neighbors, right? And both of these passages had a theme, right? It was love God and love people. If we're going to have a heart the heart of a missionary will love God and will love people because our pursuit of God leads us to our pursuit of his creation. We looked at his creation being called the, the poema of God, right? This, his masterpiece that he created man in his own image, the imago Dei, that, that man was created in the image of God and he um, holds dearly that relationship and, and God desires to have a relationship with his creation, and, and so as we pursue him, our hearts are expanded to love what he created, uh, love what he loves. Uh, and our love for people is shown through both our actions and our words, right? Um, it's, it's both the way we act 
and the way we talk to people. And uh, this, this is important, and this is what he's talking about in, in word and in power. Uh, last week we talked about what does it look like for us to linger a little bit so we can get to know these people. Because it's, it's difficult for us to, to really truly show love to our neighbors if we don't know what's going on in their life, isn't it? And so our challenge was, hey, let's linger a little bit this week in our, in our neighborhoods, in our, in our front yards. Let's try to get to know people, try to have a conversation. Let's be generous to the people around us so that we can show them the love of Jesus. People that have a heart of a missionary, we, uh, we must naturally linger and be normally generous. This shouldn't be a directive that we're trying to do as a church. This should be something that naturally happens that we're naturally hanging out in our front yard, naturally maybe giving ourselves some space to engage the people around us, and that we're normally generous, that we're not just uh, willing to share a meal with someone because we were asked to, but we desire to get to know people more, and so we want to be generous and, and offer up the things that God has already given us to the people around us so that we might be able to expand the kingdom of God through the local church. So we begin to love God, and through that love of God, we begin to love his creation. Um, and, and through that, we begin to see his creation through a Christ lens, right? And instead of seeing our neighbors as the people that park in front of our house or don't mow their yards or never pick up their trash cans, we, we stop looking at their badness and we begin to see them as broken. We begin to see their brokenness, not their badness. And that's what we celebrated here at the communion tables, isn't it? We celebrated that we were broken, that we attempted to make it to God over and over and over, and all of those attempts failed, and God came down to earth to bridge that gap. We celebrated broken bodies, and we celebrated Christ mending that gap. So many of us forget about that brokenness that we had before we met Christ. We forget about all the things that we did wrong and how we were an enemy of God. And we tend to just think about ourselves and all the good things that we try to do. But when we begin to look at people the way Jesus looks at people, we see their brokenness. We see them far away from God. We don't see them as someone that doesn't pick up their trash cans. We see them as someone that needs a relationship with Jesus. We look at the 4B area and we see these numbers that are astronomical and we think, you know what? Those are souls, not numbers. These are people that don't know Jesus, that haven't fallen in love with Jesus. These are people that are broken because of sin that is in their life and they need to be restored. They're not bad. Yeah, they might have cut you off in traffic. Yes, but shouldn't sinners act like sinners? They're broken. They're not bad. And we, we begin to look at people through the lens of the cross and the way that Jesus looks at us. Because of what he's done, what we celebrated here at the communion tables, we have been washed by the blood of the lamb. And so when Jesus looks at us, he doesn't see our sinfulness. He sees the cross and the blood that was shed on our behalf. And when, when God is looking at us, he doesn't see our, our badness. He sees our brokenness, and he sees that Jesus and his blood forgave us of all of our sins. And when we look at the people around us, how dare we look at them any different than Jesus looks at them? That his cross is the mediator, that he 
is the one that offers forgiveness because forgiveness starts and ends with Jesus, not us. We so often forget about our life before Christ. I truly believe that the more we think about that, the more we are motivated to share the gospel with those around us. Because our compassion towards the broken doesn't come from a place of sympathy. It comes from a place of empathy. That, that when we think about the people around us, we hurt because we were there. We don't look down our nose at them like, oh, get your life together. We remember what it was like to not have your life together before Jesus rescued you. You weren't the one that rescued yourself, so get over it, okay? Jesus is the rescuer. He's the one that has made all things right, and, but we tend to think about that as, as something that we did. No, no, there's nothing that you did to earn salvation. There's nothing that you did to earn grace. When we look at the people around us and we break, our heart is broken for what the, what's going on in their lives, we begin to empathize with them and remember what it's like. And when you're empathetic, you put your arm around someone and say, let's go. Come with me. I'm going to help you. When you're sympathetic, you look down their nose and like, come on, get your life together. I feel kind of bad for you, but I mean, like, seriously. Our compassion towards the broken doesn't come from a place of sympathy. It comes from a place of empathy. So to have a heart of a missionary, we love God and we love people, and we see people for their brokenness and not their badness. So we have a heart, and that's what we really looked at the last couple weeks. But now, once we get that right, once we begin to have our heart broken for those around us, we can begin to have the mind of a missionary. We can begin to have the mind of a missionary. If you think about Paul's words to the Thessalonians here, um, he says, for you, for you yourselves, in, in chapter 2, verse 1, for you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but, but though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to, to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who, who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. And he goes on to say in verse 9, for you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we not, might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim the gospel of God. I believe that we need to have the mind of a missionary. I believe that begins with having a mind that we begin to think through the things that God has given us, that, that we have a contemplative mind. That, that uh, missional living, it just doesn't happen accidentally. That we need to use these weapons that God has given us. And one of the, the greatest unused weapons that we have in our arsenal is our mind. We have some really, really smart people in our midst. Some really smart people. And you guys are able to do some fascinating things with your mind. 
And we think, we think about all these important things. But so often when we think about the eternal, we don't really think that much. John Stott, he says this. Um, he says that knowledge is indispensable to Christian life and service. If we do not use the mind that God has given us, we condemn ourselves to spiritual superficiality and cut ourselves off from many of the riches of God's grace. God has given you a tool, a mind to use, to think about spiritual things, to think about the people around you, to engage them. We think through almost every major decision that we make, our house, our job, our activities. But when it comes to these eternal things, we think very little. And so what I'm challenging us to do is to be contemplative and to be strategic. That we ought to be strategic. If we're going to have a mind of a missionary, missionaries don't just go willy-nilly into an area and just do whatever they feel like. They are strategic. They think about these things and they execute these things. Paul and the apostles, they relied on the Holy Spirit and strategy to spread the gospel and start the early church, didn't they? He went specifically to an area and he, and he, and he taught a specific gospel, a very strategic gospel where people could understand it, whether they were Jew or Gentile. He went to areas, he stayed in areas, he, he, he made a job for himself so that he could support himself and he didn't have to rely on other people. Like he was very strategic in the way he advanced the gospel so that he could stay, continue to be mobile and continue to go from place to place, but continue to pass through these places and set up people. He was very strategic. He was dealt a hand. He was dealt some cards. And um, where he stayed and what he did, how he made money, he did all of this with strategy to advance the kingdom through the local church. How much thought do you put into where you live, what you do, your activities, your job? This is not new information, but we want to be a church that plants churches. This has been talked about at length. If you're new here, welcome. Um, we want to be a church that plants churches. With that being said, if we are going to be a church that plants churches, that makes every single one of us church planners, doesn't it? it? Makes every single one of us church planners because we can't be a church that plants churches, but we just wait back. Okay, well, we're just going to kind of do our thing. We're going to just go to church and do our thing, but then you know we'll send some church planners out to plant a church. Let's take a hundred of us, and we'll just a hundred of y'all, and y'all go and plant a church. Y'all can be the church planners, and I'll just be a member. Well, what happens when those people leave? Who's going to fill that void? We have to all be church planters. We have to all be in on this. We are, if we are to be a church that plants churches, we need to all be church planters. We need to live missionally. We can't just sit by and hope that everyone else does it. This is something that God has called every single one of us to do. So how much thought do you put into where you live, to where you work, what you do, the activities, 
the places you go eat, the things that your kids do. I truly believe that God is calling us to plant a church in the 4B area to impact that 55%. But let's just, let's just set that aside. And what if he calls us somewhere else? What if he calls 100 of us to go to San Antonio and plant a church? I'm not saying he is, okay? Don't freak out. Um, but what if he calls us to go to San Antonio, 100 of us? That would involve us selling our houses, getting new jobs, enrolling our kids into schools and getting activities and joining new gyms and finding new places to grocery shop and all of that kind of stuff, right? The hundred of us that's going to San Antonio, it would be insane for us just to buy a house wherever in San Antonio, wouldn't it? To find a place to live just wherever, find a job just wherever, enroll your kids in school just wherever, that would not make sense at all. Just have no strategy. What we would do is say, okay, this is the area that we want to plant this church, that God is calling us to plant this church. And so, hey, let's, let's find some places to live around this area so that we can have influence in this area. Hey, if, you can, if you're able to get a job in this area, let's try to get some jobs in this area. Hey, let's leverage our people in this school district so that we can have the greatest impact for the kingdom of God and to grow the local church. Would we not? We would be insane to not be strategic if we were going to San Antonio, a hundred of us, to go plant a church. That makes complete sense, doesn't it? Why don't we do it here? What? This just, this exploded in my mind about a year ago. Why don't we do that here? Why don't we leverage what we do where we work, and where we live to advance the kingdom of God and to grow the local church. We can impact that number because it's not a number. These are souls. Eternal life hangs in the balance. We're called to be church planters, both in the Bible and as a church. We need to be contemplative. We need to be strategic. In the last step of the mind of a missionary is we have to be bold. We have to be bold. Are you afraid to fail? Because sometimes we're so afraid of failure that it cripples us from taking any kind of risks, any kind of risks. In missional living is a huge risk. Paul, he risked everything. His life, his reputation, his future. Risks require us to trust God, to be faithful. Spirit, lead me where my trust is without borders. You sang it. It came out of your mouth. That's risky, isn't it? I don't know where my foot's going to land, but I trust you to be faithful. One of my uh, mentors was eating with him, and he asked me a question. It's a weird question. He goes, Kyle, when's the last time you failed? <laughs> what? I, uh... He goes, because if you're not failing, you're probably not taking risks. It's okay to fail. 
It's okay to fall down. Take risks. Be bold. Don't be crippled by fear. Be freed to take a step not knowing where your foot's going to land. Not knowing if your feet are going to fail. Be bold. Let's have the heart of a missionary. Have the mind of the missionary. And the last thing is let's have the will of a missionary. That we might be persevered people. That we would be perseverant. Perseverant? That we might persevere. No doesn't scare the revolutionary. It fuels them. If we're living missionally, we have to persevere. We, being told no is not something that we're scared of. Because if, if we cannot settle for an answer that man gives us when we've been given clear directives from God to go, to be a church planter, we can't let no be an answer. It just fuels our fire to fight more. Missional living requires us to tap into the power of God to see us through the highs and the lows. We have to rely on him through the good time and the bad times that we are faithful to what he's called us to do. And then we tap into his power because true power comes from the Lord. And team, the most powerful will, the most powerful, strongest will is one that is aligned with the will of God. You want to have the will of a missionary, align your will with God's. And he will give you the strength to to stand up to that person telling you no. He's called each and every one of us to live as missionaries here. That we are called sojourners in this land. That this is not home. This is a temporary dwelling place. That God has called us to something greater. To bring people along with us to something greater than here on earth. Building houses and investing in temporary things. He wants us to invest in eternal things. This is a temporary place. If we are going to be missionaries here, we have to embrace that. If we want to be a community of believers that have the heart, mind, and will of a missionary, we might see something change. Through God's power, we can see the number 55 shrink. to 40s, to 30s. I believe God is calling us to make a change, a drastic change, not some small, simple change, but one that will reshape everything. I believe that he has already called us to do this, and I believe that we just need to get on board with what he's calling us to do. I believe this has the potential to reshape everything. That if this community of believers are faithful to have the heart, mind, and will of a missionary, that God, 
sovereign God, desperate for the hearts of those that are in the 4B area that we work with and we drive by and we live by and we eat with and we see at the grocery store, in the park, and walking around our neighborhood, that their lives matter to God. And they matter to us, those who are living missionally. So what are you going to do about it? One of my seminary professors, he'd always ask the question, so what? So what are you going to do about it? been talking about being a neighbor to our neighbors, been talking about embracing those around us, loving God and loving people and being generous and lingering. We've talked a whole lot about what does it look like to see people not for their badness, but their brokenness. And today we talked about being strategic, using our mind and really being bold and walking out, taking a step of faith, lining our hearts with the will of God and perseverance and power. What are you going to do? Because if we just leave here and say, oh, that was really nice, you know, nothing's going to change. Well, actually, that number is just going to continue to increase because obviously what we're doing now is not affecting that number. It continues to go up. We need to do something different in order to reach this generation. And so this is what I'm asking you guys to do. Three things. I want you to pray. I want you to think. And the hardest one I want you to do. I want you to pray and I want you to ask God to show you what it is that he has for you to do. Not someone else to do, but what he has for you to do. Whether you're five years old or 95 years old. What is God asking for you specifically to do about this? So to pray and ask God. Get on the same page with him. And then I want you to use your head. I want you to think. Aligning with God and look at the cards that God has dealt you and your family. You've been given cards and we've been playing them. How can you best use this hand to make much of him? To advance the kingdom of God and to grow the local church. I want you to be strategic. I want you to put your cards on the table and say, God, it's yours. Where I live, what I do, where I work. You've given these things to me and I've been hoarding them. My cards are on the table. And I want to use these strategically to advance the kingdom of God and grow the local church. I want to live missionally. I'm the hardest one. Because we can pray and think and, and be moved and not do anything and nothing change. This is what I want you to do. I want you to have a family meeting. Oh, that sounds even harder, Kyle. Dads, I want you to call a family meeting. Your job is to lead your families. This is what your biblical role in the house is to lead your families. 
to know and love the Lord. Ladies, if you're single at church, that doesn't leave you out. Call a family meeting. Get your people together. Rally the troops. And talk about what you guys are going to do. Everything's on the table. How are you going to live as missionaries here? I want you to pray. I want you to think. Be strategic. And I want to get your, you get your tribe together. Get your people that God has placed on your team for life together. And say, we're not okay with just doing the same old, same old. We want to make a difference. And this is what we're going to do. I believe if this happens... The 4B area changed. And those people that are far from God will become fully devoted followers. Let's be the change. Let it start here today. Let me pray for us.